We're going to continue our series on the major judges in the Bible, and today we're going to talk about Ehud. And the story of Ehud is also found in Judges chapter 3, and it begins at verse 12. It says that again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms, which is Jericho. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a cubit long, which is about 18 inches, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way those who had carried it. But on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon, and said, Your Majesty, I have a secret message for you. The king said to his attendants, Leave us, and they all left. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace, and said, I have a message from God for you. As the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade, and his bowels discharged. Ehud did not pull the sword out, and the fat closed in over it. Then Ehud went out to the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. After he had gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. They said he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the palace. They waited to the point of embarrassment, but when he did not open the doors of the room, they took a key and unlocked them. There they saw their lord fallen to the floor, dead. While they waited, Ehud got away. He passed by the stone images and escaped to Sarah. When he arrived there, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went down with him from the hills with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. So they followed him down and took possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab. They allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong. Not one escaped. That day, Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. This is definitely a very unique story of the Bible, with a lot of details in it, and details that don't even seem important at first, like Ehud being left-handed, and yet that becomes the major plot point of this encounter. And it was because Ehud was left-handed that he was able to sneak his sword into the king's palace, because the guards would have only been checking for a sword on the left side, you know, the left thigh of the person. 
And it's entirely possible that Ehud, you know, made this himself, and he may have even gone in with an extra fake sword on his left side that he wouldn't need, that, you know, when the guards would check for weapons, that him, along with all the others, would leave that weapon at the door. But he was able to sneak in this sword on his right thigh and was able to use it specifically because he was left-handed. And that was something that set him apart. And you think about it, this, this plan that he had in order to kill this evil king, Eglon, and win Israel's freedom for them was only possible because of the unique trait he had of being left-handed. And that was something that probably irritated him through life. If he was trying to learn to use a sword and watching everybody, you know, go through the sword movements with their right hand and he's having to try to do it backwards, essentially, do it mirrored in order to follow their movements, that wouldn't have been enjoyable. That would have added an extra layer of difficulty. And he would have been seen as different. He would have been seen as not quite fitting in with everyone else because of this unique trait that he had, and yet it was that unique trait that allowed him to do the work of God in this event that takes place. And we see in this story, and, and many times throughout Scripture and history, that God likes to use those things that make us different for his kingdom's work, and that he hasn't created us with these differences on accident, he does that intentionally. He gives us different traits and different gifts in order that we can serve him and his kingdom in different ways. And nobody else would have been able to wield that sword left-handed as quickly and efficiently enough as Ehud was able to because he was born that way. He was born with something that made him different, and God used that difference for the work of his kingdom. And God continues to do that to this day, that he uses our unique traits. He uses what makes us different to be able to do things that other people are not able to do because they don't share those gifts or those traits, especially things that might seem like a disadvantage to us at first. Through giving your life to God, he's able to turn those disadvantages into advantages. And it makes me think of a guy named uh, Nick Vujicic. And if you don't know who Nick Vujicic is, you should really look him up after you finish listening to this because he is an incredible person. And Nick is someone, he's an Australian guy that was born without arms and legs. And that was something that he understandably struggled with his entire life and continues to struggle with, but especially struggled with it growing up. That he wasn't just having to deal with the normal troubles of adolescence, but he also had to deal with that disability as well. And yet, that disability has given him an incredible ability that is unique to him. Because Nick is one of the greatest speakers in the world, in today's world. He's an incredible motivational speaker, talking about how he doesn't let you know, that no arms, he kind of says, no arms, no problem. It's And he doesn't define himself by that trait. And yet it's because 
he was born with what many people would say, you know, this is a disability. He's he's missing something. He's He has a quirk that is a disadvantage to him. And yet he uses it as an advantage to be able to speak and encourage people and not just encourage people and motivate them, but he's also a believer. He also believes in God and he has used it to spread the message of God and to help people all across the world. Using something that he has had to struggle with his entire life. Something that makes him different from everyone else. Something that makes people stare. Something that is always on his mind as something that he has to wrestle with. Is something that has allowed him to focus on the other gifts that he does have of speaking and to use that difference to really propel him forward into captivating the attention of others to be able to speak with him. And so he's able, by allowing God to use him, he's been able to turn that disadvantage into an advantage. And God doesn't ask us to do his works with gifts that we don't have or abilities that he has not given to us. Instead, he asks us to be obedient with what he has given to us. And he always gives us what we need to be able to do the work that he is calling us to. That's all we're asked to do, is to use what God has given to us. For Nick, it's using what he doesn't have, as well as what he does have, which is the gift of speaking. And he uses both what he doesn't have and what he does have in order to do God's work. It was the same with Ehud. He used what he didn't have, which was a right-hand dominance, and used what he did have, being left-handed, in order to do the work that God was calling him to. So rather than focusing on the things that we aren't able to do and seeing that as disadvantages, to instead look at what God has given to us and be able to use that to participate in the work that God is calling us to, to simply be obedient with what it is that God has given to us. And those differences that set us apart from others is often the greatest tool that we have for the work of his kingdom. Just like with Ehud, what set him apart was what allowed his plan to work. That he was able to kill the evil king of Eglon, who scripture says was a very fat man. And, and we look through this story and the details that are given, there's a lot of gross details in this story, isn't there? About just how fat Eglon is and, and that he was so fat that this sword that was over, you know, a foot and a half long was still enveloped completely when it was plunged into his belly. And not only that, that his bowels discharged. And so because of that, Ehud was able to lock the door and his guards thought, well, he's just using the bathroom. And because they thought that, it gave him the time to escape. And and really, it's it's gross details. It's not things you would want to talk about at the dinner table, right? And yet it was still the work of God taking place here. 
And it's really important that we don't separate that. That this was the work of God being done. And that that work included a lot of gross details. And it's important for us to not separate those things so that we can realize that the work that God is calling us to is not always glamorous work. It's not always polished. It's not always something that looks great in the spotlight. But it is always worthwhile because it's the work of God's kingdom. And we shouldn't have this idea that whatever work God is calling us to is going to be fantastic and pleasant and enjoyable and glamorous. Sometimes it is, but I would say that often a lot of the times it's way less glamorous than we want it to be. It's less comfortable than we want it to be. It's less pleasant than we want it to be. Because work is very seldom something enjoyable. And that includes the work of God's kingdom, but just like with any work, the end results are so worth it. It's worth the sweat, the blood, the tears that went into accomplishing it to finally get to that end result. And there is no end result worth more than the results that we see in the work of the kingdom. But that doesn't mean that it's always going to be glamorous. And that oftentimes, it's going to put us in situations that we don't like. Situations we're not comfortable with, we don't find pleasing. But that doesn't mean that it's not still God's work. I remember this last week at work, because I am bivocational. I've talked about this before, but uh, if you're new to listening to me, uh, I work with adults who have disabilities. And I work at a center and work with all the different clients there. And this last week, we were more understaffed than we usually are, just severely understaffed. And I was essentially having to do a four-person job by myself for the entire week. And it was brutal for me. I, I was so tired, and every day was just a struggle of trying to get by day after day after day and, and make everything work, get everything to come together. And I remember on the Friday of that week, and the whole week had been like that, and on that Friday, there was a client that had a huge accident. And I had to take him into the shower that we had and, and clean him off. And while I was doing that, one of my supervisors, who's also a friend of mine, and um, I've talked about him before too, that, uh, he was agnostic when I met him and he's come back to the faith and, um, we've got a great relationship, but I remember as I was cleaning off this client, again, smelly, unpleasant, at the end of an already difficult week, but just trying to do my job and just trying to get by, he comes in and he says, you're really showing the aspect of being a servant leader right now. And that really touched me deeply. Because I wasn't thinking of it as doing God's work at that time. I was just thinking of it as 
taking care of a problem that I didn't want to have to deal with, but somebody has to do it. So, and you know, it's part of my responsibility, so I'm just going to do it. And yet that was still pointed out to me as setting an example for others about what it means to love others because of the love that God has for me, for all of us, that love that I've experienced that leads me to loving and taking care of others. And so even though I felt like I was just trying to do my best to do my job, it was still recognized as doing the kind of work that is done for the kingdom. And I think oftentimes the work of the kingdom of God ends up being like that. That somehow we expect it to be this big glamorous thing and, and super holy and sacred. And yet oftentimes it's, it's the toughest, dirtiest jobs that nobody else wants to do that really shines in the darkest of places. And because of that, I really do think that the greatest works for the kingdom of God oftentimes aren't recognized like that by the people doing them or sometimes the people around them. I mean, how many of us would look at this story of Ehud deceiving the guards and deceiving the king in order to stab, in order to kill him, assassinate him? How many of us would look at an event like that and say, boy, he is doing the work of the kingdom of God? Many of us today, I would say the majority of Christians today would look at an event like that with Ehud happening in our world today and would frown upon it and say they should have done something differently. That's not the work of God and would condemn it rather than recognize it as a work that God was doing through Ehud in order to free his people and bring about that time of peace. And it just goes to show how narrow our view tends to be about what the work of the kingdom of God looks like. And sometimes we have to take a step back and realize that God will ask us to do things that don't fit into that narrow perspective of what we think God's work should look like. And the question then becomes, are we willing to do whatever God asks us to do? Especially if it doesn't look like what we want it to look like. If it's different than how we picture it being. If it's something that makes us uncomfortable and we don't want to do that. If God is asking us to do it, are we willing to do it? Because that's what obedience and faith comes down to. Are we faithful to God? Are we loyal to Him? Are we obedient in doing what He asks us to do? Because I think more often than not, the work of God is not a pleasant experience, but it's what we're called to do, is to be obedient. Are we willing to do whatever God asks us to do? Ehud took risks, put himself in a very gross situation, but did it because he was following what God wanted him to do. And then after he does this, and he slips out, he's able to get away, he goes back to the rest of the Israelites, 
and he blows a trumpet and calls for them to follow him in order to take down the Moabites, in order to attack their enemies and free themselves from this subjugation. So Ehud does this after he's already taken out Eglon. And I think this is an important detail that Ehud took that first step of overthrowing the Moabites by taking out the king by himself in this way that only he could. And it was after he took this first step that he then goes back to the Israelites and says, now is the time for us to rise and do something about this. And the reason why I think this is so important is because it's really easy for people to take an opportunity that's presented to them, and it's a lot more difficult for someone to create an opportunity. And usually if we are asking people to create an opportunity, they don't want to do it. They'll talk about the idea. They'll talk about what should be done. There were probably plenty of Israelites that said, yeah, something should be done about these Moabites that have taken control of us. But then if you ask them, all right, who's going to do something about it? Well, not, not me. I don't want to incur their wrath, wrath. I don't want to be killed by them. They don't want to create that opportunity, but Ehud was willing to go create the opportunity. Look, now's our chance. I've taken out their king. They're going to be in disarray. Take this opportunity that I have created and when he did that, when he created the opportunity, then the rest of the Israelites were willing to take advantage of that opportunity that Ehud had created. But in order for them to be willing to take that opportunity, God needed to use Ehud to create that opportunity and to begin that process. And oftentimes, in order for the work of God to be done, it usually begins by someone starting the process for it to take place. Not just throwing the idea out there, right? Not just saying, well, somebody should take care of these Moabites, huh? Somebody should do that, which so often happens in churches where, you know, people will say, somebody should do this or somebody should do that. But very rarely do you see someone saying, let me be the one to do that. I'm willing to step up. I'm willing to do something about this. I want to help. I want to participate. And too often we're able to recognize the work that God wants to do, but no one is willing to begin the process so that God's work can actually be done. But when someone like Ehud, Ehud is willing to step up and begin that process, it makes it a lot easier to get that ball rolling and for other people to say, I see what you're doing, I see that it's good, and I'm willing to help you and join you in what you're doing. But more often than not, it takes one person being obedient to the call of God to stand up and begin that process. Someone in scripture that was really good at doing that was Peter, Jesus' disciple. 
Peter was, as I've said before, he's an act first, ask questions later kind of person. Peter had a lot of being the first person in his life. He was the first person to be called and follow Jesus. He was the first and only person to step out of the boat onto the rocky waters when Jesus was walking on the water to walk out to where Jesus was. Peter was the first person to stand up at Pentecost and begin preaching the word of God to the people who were there, accusing them of being drunk. And again, we see many mistakes that Peter makes. But so often, that's because he was the only one willing to try. And he was willing to fail sometimes if it meant that he could succeed sometimes. If you never try, sure, you'll never fail, but you'll also never succeed. And Peter was willing to try, and we know that Jesus recognized that as an important attitude and temperament because Peter was one of his three closest disciples. He was in the inner circle of the inner circle because of his attitude to be willing to step up and do something. And really, unless you are a Jewish person listening to this, you have Peter to thank for being a follower of Christ because Peter was the first one to begin to do the ministry of God's kingdom to Gentiles. It was Peter who went to the house of Cornelius and offered the, sa the saving grace of Jesus Christ to Cornelius the Gentile. And we can see how the good news of the gospel message and the work of Jesus Christ has spread throughout the world. It hasn't just been to Jewish people. It hasn't just been to the Israelites. It's expanded beyond that. And that is all thanks to Peter being willing to step out and do that, bring that good news to the Gentiles when no one else was doing it. Nobody else was willing to take that first step. And you can think about so many events throughout history that are just like that, that everybody thought it was a good idea, but nobody was willing to do anything first until someone did. And then when somebody was willing to take that first step, they found that there was a whole crowd right behind them that were all waiting for somebody to take that first step, not being willing to take that first step themselves. And when God calls us to do his work, there are many times that he calls us to begin a work that has not yet begun or to do his work in a way that has never been done. And the question is, are we willing to step out in faith, even if no one is? Even if we're the first one starting that process? Even if we're the only person who's going to be working in that area? If it's what what's God is calling us to do, are we willing to step out in faith and do it? even if no one else is? Or are we saying, yeah, that's a good idea, and waiting for somebody to start that process, and then we'll join in? God isn't just looking for people willing to take good opportunities. He's looking for people to create opportunities for his work to be done. Ehud was an incredible 
person because he was willing to use what set him apart to go and do something that was unpleasant that paved the way for peace to be restored to the Israelites. Are you willing to be an Ehud? Are you willing to let God use your gifts, the things that God has given to you, even if it's not in the way you expect, and if it involves starting something new? Are you willing to obey in those ways? Are you willing to be a leader like Ehud was, paving the way for the work of God to be done in a way that you didn't expect, in a way that isn't pleasant, but using what God has given you rather than focusing on the gifts you don't have? Are you obedient to God's call? And that's today's Sermon in the Pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions for me, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me either through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page, or you can email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And as always, I encourage you to share these messages with other people to help get the Word of God out there. But until next time, I pray that God will bless you as you go throughout your day, and I thank you for taking the time to listen. Thank you.